Our Old Testament reading is from the book of Ezekiel, chapter 34, verses 1 through 16. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, Hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and because my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd, and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and not fed my sheep, therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths, that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness, and I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land on a rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. The word of the Lord. Today's psalm is Psalm 23. We will read responsively by whole verse. Psalm 23, 
The Lord is my shepherd, therefore I can lack nothing. He shall feed me in green pastures, lead me forth beside the waters of comfort. He shall refresh my soul and bring me forth in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You shall prepare a table before me in the presence of those who trouble me. You have anointed my head with oil, and my cup shall be full. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be world without end. Our New Testament reading today is from the book of Revelation, chapter 7, verses 9 through 17. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice salvation belongs to our god who sits on the throne and to the lamb and all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped god saying amen blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them clean and white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The word of the Lord. Our gospel lesson this morning comes from Luke chapter 15. Will you please stand for the reading of the gospel? Church, this is the holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Luke. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man among you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? 
And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And then he comes home. He calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous people who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house clean and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I lost. Just so, I tell you, there is more joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then he said, There is a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine came upon that land, and he began to be in need. So he went, and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but here I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me, please, as one of your hired servants. And he arose, and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion, and he ran to him and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and put shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now, his older son was out in the field. And he came and drew near to the house, and he heard music and dancing. And he called to one of the servants and asked what these things meant. The servant said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he received him, received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he looked at his father and said, Look, all these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me so much as a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours come home, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And the father said to the son, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was fitting to be celebrated and to be glad because your brother was dead and is alive. He is lost. He was lost and is now found. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. This is, as you might have guessed from the Bible readings that we were doing, 
This is something called Good Shepherd Sunday. The fourth Sunday in the season of Easter is always Good Shepherd Sunday in the Anglican Church. The imagery of, of being a shepherd, the imagery of shepherding and sheep, is all throughout the Bible. The shepherd is always portrayed as a caretaker. He's a, a protector and a guide. He leads the flock by keeping it safe from danger, and he drives the flock toward where he wants to go. So we're going to be in a couple different passages in the Bible today. If you would like to follow along, um, open your Bible to first to Psalm 23, and then maybe put a finger in Luke 15, because that's where we're going to be spending most of our time. Uh, if you would like to follow along in a Bible but didn't bring one with you, you can grab one of these blue Bibles that's on the back low wooden table there. And if you don't own a Bible, then one of those blue Bibles is yours to keep as our gift to you. So, several times throughout the Bible, God identifies himself as the shepherd of his people. And, and nowhere is that more clear and plain than in Psalm 23. Psalm 23 has been called by some possibly the most well-known bit of writing ever written in human history. But then in other places, like in Ezekiel 34, which we heard read, when, when the human protectors, when the human shepherds have gotten it wrong, and, and that happens a lot, God himself steps in. God says that I, I myself, I, the, the, the God who created the universe, I am going to be the shepherd of my people. I will care for them. I will lead them. I will guide them. And so despite our constant rebellion, God keeps acting as our shepherd. He keeps guiding us and he keeps pursuing us. He keeps stepping in and saying, even though you all chose to go wandering off in your own way, I'm going to draw you back to me. I'm going to seek after you. I'm going to find you. I'm going to bring you back into safe pastures. And so that then brings us to this story that Jesus tells in Luke 15. He tells three kind of interconnected parables or stories. So we're going to get to Luke 15 to see what kind of picture it is that Jesus is painting of, of who God is and who we are in his eyes. And then we're also going to look at how Psalm 23 can really show us what Luke 15 is about. So we need to unpack Psalm 23 a little bit. This is going to be kind of bullet point preaching through a bunch of verses because I really want to focus on Luke, but I want to start with Psalm 23. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. This is, this is right away, this is a song of comfort because it's a song of identity and it's a song of, of safety and rest. The writer of this psalm is confident in who he is because he's confident of who his shepherd is. The Lord is my shepherd. He says, I lack nothing. It's such a, it's such a complete and simple statement. Does this mean that, that I have everything that I want? Absolutely not. But it means that I don't I'm not missing anything that I need. It says, in good pastures he makes me lie down. To restful waters he leads me. And he refreshes my soul. It says he leads me on a, on a track of righteousness and justice. So think about like, a, 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 it's basically a routine grazing path. If you ever look at a big field, um, in grazing land, the animals will actually wear a path from one pasture to another because they keep going over it so many times. I grew up near Boston where the roads make absolutely no sense. And the joke there is always that when Boston was all farming area, the cows would trace these tracks and paths from one pasture to another, and they would kind of meander from pasture to pasture. 
And when cars were invented, they simply looked at these cow tracks and paved over the cow tracks. And that's why you have roads that kind of go everywhere all at once. It's, it's not true, but it's funny. But the thing is, like, if you go to a grazing land, you can see these tracks that a cow would, or a, a grazing animal would wear. And that's the tracks that God is leading us in. These well-worn paths of his justice and his righteousness. That's where he's taking us. And he does it for the sake of his own name, which means he's doing it for the sake of himself, his, his nature, his character, his personhood. Psalm 23 goes on, Even when I walk through the valley of a death shadow, I am not afraid of evil, because you are with me. And that, that word is, you, are, you and I are here together. You are my companion. We have fellowship. We are together. It says, because your club and your crook are a comfort to me. Now, you might know that as your rod and your staff, and, th and that's true, but the, a shepherd had two tools that he would use. One was an offensive weapon, one was a defensive weapon. Or, one was for the, out for, one was for the attackers, one was for the sheep. A club and a crook. You use a club to beat off the attackers, to keep the sheep safe from outside forces that wanted to mess with the sheep. And you use the crook to help the sheep when they're going astray. You use the crook to hook them by the neck and gently pull them back as they're trying to go off a cliff. Both of these things are, are tools that our shepherd uses for us. And both of these are a comfort to the writer of this song. Knowing that God has these tools at his disposal and uses them is a, is a relief. It's another way that we can rest in his care. The verses go on to talk about the, the richness of how God blesses his sheep. It says, you, you spread a feast for me right in the face of my enemies. So God is not only our shepherd, he's also our host. And that's not servant language. It's not you set the table for me. It's you invite me in to your table. You invite me to your feast. God is not only our shepherd and our guide. He is also our host who welcomes us to his feet. And when he does, he richly blesses us. It says, you saturate my head with oil, which is what you would do to a guest. Jesus, in one of the Gospels, rebukes Simon the Pharisee, who invited him to dinner and says, when I got here, not only didn't you wash my feet, you didn't even anoint my head with oil. That's like something that you would do when you invite someone into your home. You would anoint their head with oil. And in this case, it's saying, you saturate my head with oil. So it's not like the little, like, <laughs> dab that, like, we do at baptisms or when you're visiting someone who's sick. This is oil pouring down on someone's head. You saturate my head with oil. My cup, my cup of wine is overflowing. So, so far in Psalm 23, we see that God, as our shepherd, is our guide. He's our provider. He's our comforter. He's our source of safety and security. And he is the one who richly blesses us with everything that we need. So much so that it's almost too much for us to bear. Saturated in oil, overflowing with wine, cared for, welcomed, feasting, and blessed. And then the final verse. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So that's Psalm 23. What does that have to do with Luke chapter 15? It's a, it's a pretty good model of how we're supposed to see our shepherd, of how we're supposed to see our relationship to God. So here in Luke chapter 15, Jesus is talking with a bunch of Pharisees and scribes. 
religious leaders of the day, the exact same people that, that Ezekiel would have been prophesying against in the name of God, saying, you shepherds, you haven't been caring for my sheep, you've been eating my sheep. So, Pharisees and scribes, experts in how to live a godly life, experts in God's law and God's word. Luke 15, verse 1. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled together, saying, This man receives sinners and tax collectors and eats with them. So this is, again, picking up from Psalm 23, this is host language. He receives sinners and eats with them. A writer named Kenneth Bailey makes the case that this probably means that Jesus himself had a house. We always think of him as this itinerant preacher wandering Kenneth Bailey thinks that Jesus actually probably had a house, probably in Capernaum, where he was from, and that he would actually receive guests into his home and feast with them. In any case, this idea of of receiving and eating is feasting language. So no matter where Jesus was in his ministry, whether in his own home or in the home of someone else, Jesus was the host of these meals for tax collectors and sinners. That's a noun, uh, a kind of a compound noun, tax collectors and sinners, that you'll hear throughout the Gospels. What it means is garbage people. Like, terrible, terrible people that no self-respecting, upright Jew would have anything to do with. And the Pharisees had really clear rules about who they were supposed to eat with. They had really clear rules about eating in general. They had all these rules about how they were to wash all of their plates and their forks and their knives and the table and everything They were very clear and very careful about uncleanliness versus cleanliness, impurity versus purity. And that also extended to who they received at their table, who they would have fellowship with. Because to receive someone at your table basically meant that you were giving them your stamp of approval. This person is worthy to dine with me at my table in my home. So the Pharisees see that Jesus here is hosting Traitors, right? Tax collectors. Jews who were working for Rome. He was hosting prostitutes. He was hosting drunks. And they are not happy about what Jesus is doing. So Jesus tells them three quick stories. So as we're reading through these stories of these parables, think of the audience that Jesus is talking to. Think of who he's talking to. These Pharisees, scribes. Because it becomes very clear that although these parables in Luke 15 are, are, are a delight to us, Because they're a picture of who God is. They are also very clearly a rebuke. So he told them this parable. This is verse 4. He told them this parable. What man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the ninety-nine in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it? This is not, by the way, this is not absurd and ridiculous behavior. This is not recklessness on the part of the shepherd. What he's basically saying, the language that he's using, is he's basically saying any smart shepherd would do this. Because sheep at that time were incredibly valuable. It was your livelihood. One sheep, even one lone sheep, was of incredible value. So Jesus here is basically saying only an idiot would would, would let a valuable sheep wander off on his own without pursuing after it. So once the shepherd sees that the the 99 sheep are safe, because that's what open field means. It doesn't mean like he leaves them to fend for their own. Like, I hope hope they're all right. I'm going to go get that one. 
It means that the, the, the fields are open enough that he can see that they're safe. There's no attackers. So once the 99 sheep are safe, he's going to leave them there. He's going to go off after the one sheep that's gotten lost. Of course he is. It's too valuable to let it go. Any good shepherd would do this. Verse 5, when he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. He comes home. He calls his friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. He calls people to his home, saying, Rejoice with me. This is feasting language. This is hosting language. He throws a party and invites people over. And then verse 7, I tell you in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. Now this is an obvious dig at the Pharisees and how they thought they could earn their way into God's favor because every one of us, every single person, needs repentance. Every one of us is a lost sheep. It's just that some of us know it, some of us don't. One of the reasons, by the way, why Jesus hung out all the time with tax collectors and sinners, with prostitutes and thieves and addicts, is because they are the kind of people who would know that they're not exactly crushing it in life. They know that they can't justify themselves by their own behavior and lifestyle and actions. The Pharisees thought that they could. But the tax collectors and the sinners would know that they actually need redemption not by their own behavior, but from an outside source. So Jesus is saying here, of course, the good shepherd pursues the lost sheep. Of course he does. It's obvious. He goes on, verse 8. Or what woman who has ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? Again, it's the same idea as the first thing. Of course she's going to look for it. This silver coin is called a drachma. Think of it, in our terms today, it's about one day's wages. So this woman has ten days' wages as her life savings. If you lose 10% of that, you're not going to just go, oh, well, you know, close enough. I still got my 90% here. That's, that'll probably be fine. No, you're going to search. In the first parable, the lost sheep got out of the safety of the flock, went off on its own to God knows where. So the shepherd goes outside of the group, outside of the green pastures, into the valley of the shadow of death to seek and find the sheep. In our second story here, the coin has actually been lost inside the house. So it's still here. It's just overlooked. It's lost. We know it's here, but we don't know where it is. So it's under the protection of the household, but the household manager can't quite get to it. It's a little bit like what happens in church. Sometimes people get lost because they walk out the front door into a different lifestyle and they are gone. And we don't know where they are, but we know that the good shepherd is still pursuing them. But then sometimes, like the coin, people are still in the house, but they are lost. We know that they're here, but we're not seeing them. But it still means that we tear everything apart to make sure that we find them. And so this woman of the house, who has misplaced 10% of her whole life savings, is going to look on top of every cabinet. She's going to lift every rug. She's going to move every chair. She's going to diligently and systematically search. And then she finds it. In verse 9, when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found the silver coin that I lost. It's the same thing as the first verse. It's the same thing as Psalm 23. 
Come and feast with me. I am inviting you to my table. Let's have a party together. So these are the first two parables that illustrate what the, what the good shepherd does, what the wise overseer does. Now, good storytelling always comes in threes. You have the setup, you have the reinforcement of the setup, and then you have the one that's a little bit different. So we have our third story, and this drives the point home by being longer, more detailed, more personal. This is something that we have come to know as the parable of the prodigal son. This, by the way, is a tragic misnaming of this parable. Verse 11. Jesus also said, a man had two sons, and the younger of them said to the father, Father, give me the share of the estate that I have coming to me. And so the father distributed the assets to them. Give me the share of the estate that I have coming to me. What is that? It's an inheritance. What do you typically have to do to gain an inheritance? The person of the older generation has to die. The son is in effect saying to Father, your stuff and your money is more important to me than your life. Give me your stuff. You're more good to me dead than alive. But the amazing thing is the father has such love for the son that he actually does it. He gives his younger brother his share of the estate, which basically means he gave him a third of everything that he had. Because that's how inheritance worked back then. The older brother would get what's called a double portion of what was coming to him. So if you have two sons... They're not going to cut it up 50-50. It's going to be two-thirds, one-third. So the father lops off a third of everything he has and gives it to his younger son. And the younger son does not then take all that money and he does not exactly follow a Dave Ramsey-style plan for financial peace and independence and freedom. It says in verse 12, Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and he traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. And after he had spent everything that he had, a severe famine struck that country and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. And how he longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. So this younger brother goes from living comfortably with a loving father in a household in a rich household where he presumably had everything that he needed. He goes from there to being in a foreign country, broke, feeding pigs, and wishing that he could just have it as good as these pigs had. And then he says, how, much, how, much, how many of my father's servants have more than enough to feed their bellies while I sit here starving and longing to have some of this pig slop? By the way, has anyone ever had um, hippie snacks where they try to include carob for chocolate? That might be a generational thing of just me, I have no idea. But hippy dippy earthy crunchy snacks where they try to slip in carob and call it chocolate. Oh no, this is nature's chocolate. No, it's a healthy alternative to chocolate, it tastes just the same. Well here's the thing, um, the pods that these pigs were eating, yeah it was, it was carob. So, sorry hippies, um, chocolate is chocolate, and carob is not, because carob is for pigs. Anyway, um, 
So our guy here is dying to eat some of these carob pods that the pigs are eating. But no one will offer him any. No one's even trying to feed him. He left a home where his father was his overseer, where his father was in charge of this rich and abundant household. And now his overseer, his boss, cares more about what the pigs are eating than what, about, than, than what this human being, this image bearer, is eating. And finally, he, he comes to his senses. And he says, I'm going to go home. I, I'm going to say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But please, just treat me like one of your hired servants and take me back at this reduced status. Because even that is better than this. The son is still trying to justify himself. The son is still trying to write his own narrative. Because he's come up with his own plan. He says, he's going to go and say, I am not worthy, Dad, but here's my plan that I want you to put into action for me. It's the exact same thing as he did before. Dad, here's my plan that I want you to put into action. Why don't you divide up your estate and give me my share? And now he's saying, Dad, here's my plan that I want you to put into action. I'm going to help you. I'm going to help dictate your hiring practices and your staffing needs. So off he goes to put this great big plan of his into motion. But then verse 20. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And he felt compassion for him. And he ran to him, and he embraced him, and he kissed him. To really understand that last sentence, we need to talk for a second about what being the head of a household meant. Uh, the Greek word for it is the paterfamilias, male head of the household. This would have been very true for just about any culture in this part of the world at this time. The male head of the household, the one who sets the tone for the family, the protector, the guide, the boss. Guess what the boss would never have to do? He would never, ever have to run. The head of the household would not need to run for jack squat. He would have people to run for him. Except that this one, this father, this paterfamilias ran. He would have had to hike up his skirts and gather up his robes and expose his bare legs. Not good, by the way. And he would have had to embarrass himself and almost debase himself and run toward his son, not caring what anybody thought. Now, secondly, remember who Jesus is telling this story to. He's telling this story to Pharisees and scribes who were Jews. Pharisees, Jewish Pharisees and scribes had a very, very high understanding and a very high view of what ritual cleanness and ritual uncleanness would have meant. The idea of being pure versus impure. And the number of ways that you could make yourself impure were myriad. So it says, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion, and he ran and embraced him and kissed him. So the father, the head of the household, embarrasses himself, running to meet his son. And then he hugs him. This, this unclean man who had been hanging out with pigs, very unclean, by the way, who had been hanging out in a foreign country, fornicating with foreign women. Very, very unclean. But he embraces him. He risks his own, his own defilement, his own ritual impurity by embracing his son. Then he kisses him. 
In this culture, a kiss was reserved for loved ones, kinsmen, people that you trust, people that you've invited into your home, to your table, people that you've prepared a feast for. But this younger son, this thieving, lying, whoring degenerate, is trusted, embraced, loved, and invited. And he's actually sought after. We don't wait. The the father doesn't wait until the younger son comes. The father runs towards him, pursues him. And the son never even got a chance to put his plan into action. It's not like he gave dad the new plan saying, Father, make me like one of your hired servants. And the dad said, okay, fair enough. And then the son had like a pretty good life after that. The son doesn't even get the words out of his mouth. He says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And the father's going, bring a robe, bring a ring, bring the fatted calf, kill it. We're going to have a feast because this son of mine who was lost is found again. It's like Jesus is saying, which of you, if one of your children ran off to become a lying, thieving, boring degenerate, would not run to him and welcome him back with open arms, showing him that he was trusted and loved? And invited. And the answer is the same as it is for the first two parables. The answer is, of course, a good father would do that. Of course they would. The shepherd leaves the 99 to search for the one because sheep are incredibly valuable. The woman of the house searches for her lost coin because a coin is incredibly valuable. And the father pursues the son, welcoming him back because of how much more value is a human being than a sheep or a coin. And the older brother does not understand. And the older brother here is the stand-in for the Pharisees and the scribes because they didn't understand. And it's why this, this parable is actually misnamed. We call it the parable of the prodigal son, but it isn't. If anything, it's the parable of the loving father. Or it's the parable of the two lost sons. Or the two idiot brothers. Because what comes across in the end is a rebuke by Jesus to these Pharisees. And this was the point that Jesus was driving at with all three stories. The father pursues the son. Because that's what a shepherd does. The shepherd pursues the sheep. The woman relentlessly searches for her coin. And the older son doesn't get it. Because the Pharisees and those who seek to justify themselves don't get it. Verse 25. The older son hears that the brother has come back and the father has thrown a feast and killed the fatted calf and invited over all his neighbors and friends to celebrate. Just like the shepherd did. Just like the woman did. Inviting everyone for fellowship. And the older son is big mad about this. He says to his father, I've always been with you. I have always did everything that you told me. I have never disobeyed you. And you haven't given me even so much as a goat so that I could have a party with my friends. But now, your son, who blew half your money, your son comes back from this foreign country doing God knows what, and you're going to kill the fatted calf for him? And the father is, is stunned. He's almost confused. But he's also so gracious to his son. Verse 31, he says to him, Son, you are always with me, and everything that is mine is yours. He's saying, Son, everything I have is yours, which is now literally true. 
because he lopped off a third of his estate and gave it to the younger son. So everything that's left over is going to pass to this son. But more important than that is the first part of the sentence. The father says to the older brother, you are always with me. Because that's the real prize. That's the treasure. The son is safe and secure and resting and in fellowship with the father. And he is protected and beloved. Son, you are always with me. That's the real treasure. But now, this brother of yours, who wasn't with me, is. He was gone, he was lost, and now he's here and he's found. Who among you, if you lose a sheep or a coin, will not pursue it and then rejoice when it's found? Of course you would do that. Because sheep are incredibly valuable. And coins are incredibly valuable. And how much more valuable is a human being, an image bearer of God? This, this lost person who has consciously made the choice to turn against God, squandered everything that he had on the most debaucherous living, just in some vain attempt to try and please himself, to try to find happiness. Someone who hasn't contributed to this family in any meaningful way and instead has actually cost it plenty. But he's found now. He's here now. He's with us now. Of course the father would rejoice in that. And Jesus is saying, of course, the older son should rejoice in that. So Jesus is back, back, back to the beginning of this story. Jesus receiving, fair, receiving tax collectors and sinners. Pharisees grumbling. Jesus is telling the Pharisees, you don't get it. You should be rejoicing that the tax collectors and the sinners are eating at my table. Because Jesus says, I, I do. I rejoice that they are here. They were lost and they are found because I I am the good shepherd. I am the one who pursues. I am the one who seeks and finds. Now let me tie this briefly back into the end of Psalm 23. Here's the last verse again of Psalm 23. I kind of glossed over it before. Uh, it says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Last verse. Surely... Goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. La, 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 la. It's very poetic, it's very pretty, and it sounds great. I mean, it sounds wonderful. And that's how that verse has been written in most of the English language for most of the time that it's been translated. It's how the King James wrote it. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so because the King James wrote it like that, then also the American Standard Version did. And the NIV. And the ESV. And almost every translation says it that way. It's how I learned it as a kid. Maybe it's how you learned it. But let me tell you how I heard it. How I heard that language. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Follow me kind of sounds nice. It's, it's kind of nonspecific. It's sort of... Goodness and mercy will trail along behind me in my wake. It's a very kind of unicorns and rainbows sort of thing. It's nonspecific. It's happy. Because it all hinges on the word follow. But let me tell you what it says in Hebrew. It says, surely tov and hesed will radafa me. Stay with me. Tov is good. It is pure goodness. When God created the world, every time he created something, he looked on it and said, it is tov. It is good. Pure goodness. And hesed 
is not just mercy, and it's not just love. Hesed is that really hard-to-define word that we were talking about last fall. It's covenant faithfulness. It is an unbreakable choice to love someone. God made a covenant with Abraham, and it was an unbreakable one-way covenant. And he swore to Abraham that no matter what Abraham did, God was going to keep this covenant because of his hesed for Abraham. Because of his loving covenant commitment, fierce dedication to him. So that's what the verse says. Tov and hesed. Goodness, pure goodness. And this fierce covenant loyalty will radafa me. Radafa means to pursue. That's what it means. So, yes, surely goodness and mercy will follow me, but only if you take it in the way of, like, you run up to a cop on the street and you say, there's a man following me. It's not follow as in it'll trail along behind me like a puppy. Surely goodness and God's covenant faithfulness will pursue me, will hound me, will chase after me all the days of my life. This is the good shepherd. This is the good shepherd who pursues. God is a God who pursues. Sometimes we see a shepherd leading from the front. Because he's out in front, he's looking out for danger and trouble, and he's guiding the sheep behind him through danger. But more often than not, the shepherd leads from the rear, pursuing the sheep, driving them on to a green pasture, a place that he has prepared them, because he knows where they need to go. God is the God who pursues. So think of it this way. We are, think of the last verse of Psalm 23 this way. We are chased down by God's goodness to us and by his steadfast, merciful love for us. I was talking with my friend Jonathan about this last night. And he, he said, when you look at the way it's written, it really does take a lot of the quaintness out of it. And then he, he, he said that it was a lot less like snuggly bunnies and more like the T-1000 Terminator, just relentlessly chasing after someone. Never stopping, never giving up. God is the God who pursues. Because that's what a good shepherd does. So, if you are listening to this, and you are not a follower of Jesus, then, then you are the younger brother in this story, pure and simple. Not that any of you is necessarily like, actively squandering your money in a foreign country with the most debaucherous living that you can. Because most of the people that I know that aren't followers of God are still, you know, trying to live pretty good lives and respected by their peers and taking care of their families. But, but from a cosmic point of view, from God's point of view, from the point of view of the Lamb who sits on the throne in heaven, you are just a younger brother in a foreign country. Wasting your inheritance away from a loving family on the things that can never, ever satisfy you. Because the things that we try to satisfy ourselves with are just fake chocolate. But the good news, the good news in this story is that there is a father who pursues you, who will run to you, embarrassing himself to embrace you and kiss you and call you home. And then bring everyone together to celebrate your arrival. And if you're listening to this and you are a Christian, you are a follower of God, then um, you are also the younger brother. Because you once were lost and you have been found. Once you were dead and now, through Christ, you are alive. But for the Christian, 
Maybe, maybe you're also the older brother. Maybe you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time. And, and you try to live in the way that God would call you to live. And you try to do the right thing. Try to color within the lines. And maybe sometimes you wonder why it is that some hot mess from off the street comes in and tries to like claim the name of Christ and be a part of, of his covenant community. And you think to yourself, why should they be invited in? Like, I'm busting my tail here to be a follower of God. What, what have they done? But the thing that we all need to remember is that all of us are that younger brother and that, that this feast that God spreads for us is a beggar's banquet. That's all it is. And all of us are invited in. Sometimes a, a sermon will end with an application of something that you can do. Where the text clearly indicates or implies that, that there is something that you can take away that you can use in your own life to pursue Jesus, to pursue godliness, to pursue Christ and the path of ethical living. So, for those of us who struggle with being that older brother, here's your application. Realize that your righteousness is not your own. The older brother believed that his rule keeping and his rule following was supposed to get him the inheritance and, and the party that he wanted. Your rule keeping is not your own. Rest in the fact that God has always been with you and is with you now. And that's the treasure. And that is enough. And everything that he had is yours. And realize that you are also the younger brother. Because that's Jesus' point. Every single one of us is the younger brother. Every single one of us is a lost sheep. And for the younger brother, if you identify solely with that, here's your application. Rest. Rest. Realize that your identity is not in the things that you do and the things that you don't do. Your identity is being a sheep of Christ's fold. And know that he is running towards you and opening his arms to you to hug and, and kiss you. Because there is actually a good shepherd who will pursue us. He is real. And that good shepherd is the exact same Lamb of God who sits on the throne. The same Lamb of God who, who was slain for the sins of the world. We heard it in Revelation chapter 7. I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 9, verse 17. He who sits upon the throne will shelter them with his presence. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that you are indeed our good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And the good shepherd will leave the 99 to search for the one. And you are also the woman who will search the house tirelessly for this lost coin. And you are the father who, in seeing his, his lost son from a huge distance away, will not just wait patiently for the son to come, will not just accept the idea that the son can now simply be a servant, but will run to embrace the Son, to welcome Him home, and to prepare a feast that is more lavish than any of us can deserve or imagine. We pray that you will make this real to us this week. It's in the Lamb's name that we pray.